Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. This is your host, Michael Zuber. This is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business. From experts to newbies, wholesalers, flippers, buy and hold, apartments, commercial, notes, hard money, Airbnb, mobile homes, it doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works. Please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course, my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey, everyone. I have a really exciting show for you today. Uh, I have someone uh, that just released a book, but more importantly, he's been in the real estate business for nearly 20 years. And I think you're going to love his story, kind of where it started, how he, uh, how he got through some trials and tribulations and ultimately came out the other side. So it's, it's going to be a really exciting uh, story today. So uh, Steven Rosenberg, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I think where I want to start with your interview and your story is you had what most would consider a very safe and secure job. Right, you 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 were in a profession um, that really you could call your own shots. You had you had a path to just keep doing that. Uh, so why don't you kind of tell us what that was and you know what happened that made you go? You know what? I need to look for a plan B. Sure. Yeah. So um, I was or still am an airline pilot, mm-hmm. and uh, my my story. You know, I, I was one of those people as a little kid. You know, didn't know anything about airplanes, aviation. I would look up look up in the sky and you see those things and you think, man, how do people do that? You know? Right. So going to school, growing, grew up in Los Angeles <clears throat> and uh, started learning to fly, took lessons and, and everything. And I was, I was a pretty uh, tenacious person, very driven in anything that I did, whether it was sports, um, working out, whatever it was, I'm just one of those very focused people. And so I got, uh, I, I went through all my flight lessons and got a, got a job very early in, in life. And, um, got hired with the major airline at 25 years old, which uh, the average age is 35, just to give you some point of reference. So I was, I was pretty young. I was the second youngest person hired at the airline that I was at at the time, which was Continental Airlines. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know any different. That's all I knew, right? And so my whole life, I had been focused on being a pilot. I studied for it. I learned it. I, I invested, you know, I was deep in debt for it and everything. So um, my first... <clears throat> place that I got positioned um, to with, with that airline was in Guam. So I was flying out in the South Pacific, all over Asia, all over Australia, 25 years old. My wife and I were newlyweds. We're out there <clears throat> and excuse me, and I'm, I'm traveling out in that part of the world. Just, it, just thinking I've got the best job in the world. Like this, this is, this you is may even have a job. Had the best job in the world. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're, you know, we're traveling. I mean, we were out there for about three years. We, we, I think we did about 19 trips all to different countries out there. I mean, we were bungee jumping in New Zealand. We were up at the DMZ border. I mean, to riding elephants in Thailand. I mean, you name it, we did it. Right. And we got to that point where it's like, okay, after about three years, we said, you know, we should probably head back to the States. Our families are out there. They call it the rock, right? We're on the rock for a while. It's time, it's time to, you know, kind of go. So that was July of 2001. 
So we arrived back in the States in August of 2001 with all of our stuff on the boat getting shipped over, which takes about six weeks. Um, and so I had the best job in the world. Now I'm flying out in the domestic world. I was flying 737s at the time. And uh, again, up until September 10th, I had the best job, safest, most secure job in the world. And 9-11 happened, obviously, as we all know, it was a very tragic day. And that day basically put in motion the changes of my life that would take me on a whole different trajectory. And the reason I say that, everybody remembers 9-11. And it, to me, 9-13 was, was kind of my day. And the reason I say that is, is that was the day that that safe, secure illusion of a job dissolved because I got sent a furlough notice that said basically, hey, we don't think we're going to need you anymore. So you're going to be out on the street with about 200,000 other airline pilots and good luck. And what, what's very humbling is, is that when you realize you're in that position and you, all you've ever done is focused on one task in life, which was flying a metal tube around in the sky, basically, you're really not qualified to do anything else. And so it's very humbling where you realize when I started looking like, now I hadn't gotten furloughed, but I got the notice saying that within 90 days per contract, they could do this. And the reason they were doing this was um, they've got shareholders, they have board of directors, and they're protecting the shareholders. They're not protecting the employees. Sure. So, you know, a lot of, and a lot of people don't maybe remember this time, but it was very, very, uh, I would say turbulent for the airline, no pun intended, but it was, it was, a, it was, it was a time where all of a sudden, um, you know, airlines were having the, the, the bird flu disease, the, the SARS was happening, uh, the oil was going to $140 a barrel. I mean, it was like the locusts were coming next for us. I mean, it was, it was one hit after the other. And what the airlines did was in order to protect the shareholders, which, you know, at the end of the day, that's their job. Yep. Um, they were going into bankruptcy, they were abrogating contracts, so they were voiding contracts, and they were going into the pilots' pensions and wiping their pensions clean. Oh. And even pilots that had retired they were losing their pension. So imagine you're, you know, you're 70 years old in your golden years and all of a sudden your money's gone. Sorry. And so <clears throat> I'm watching this evolve and I'm realizing, man, this is like not as safe and secure as I thought it was. This is the exact opposite. It was almost like this, you know, the sheet had been pulled back and all of a sudden I'm looking at this whole other world saying, this is not good. Yeah. So then when I started looking for things to do, driving a truck, doing anything, I wasn't qualified. I had no qualifications. Like I couldn't even not, I could not even drive a commercial truck. And I'm thinking to myself, something's wrong with this picture. Like I can fly an airplane with hundreds of people, but I, I, I can't do anything else because I was so specialized and so focused. So I, I started realizing that I need to have something else. I can't just rely on this job. Now, I got within 30 people, it was about 6,000 pilot seniority list at the time, and I came within 30 people of the bottom of getting furloughed. I got pushed out of Houston. I had to go up to Newark. I was living in Newark at the time, part-time, commuting back to Houston. I didn't complain because I still had a job, right? All of my other buddies that were below me, they were gone. So I'm not complaining, but you're realizing like, wow, I have at the swipe of a pen, at any hiccup, if there's any kind of attack or, you know, something else happens to the airlines, I'm done. Right. And it's, it's, it's very scary for people that have been in a situation where they have no control yep. and something else is dictating that, that I'm just a number. I have nothing to do with the, if I'm a good pilot, I'm a bad pilot. If I'm a good employee, bad employee, I'm just a cog in a very big wheel. And, and at the swipe of a pen, that whole section goes away and it's sorry, we have to keep moving on and protecting the shareholders. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's what kind of led me towards real estate is, is in a long winded story. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that's great. And I think I want to relate this back to what other, you know, for other people, right? Because I am a firm believer that the business cycle is real. Now, first and foremost, I hope nothing ever close to 9-11 happens again, because that's an external event and was an attack and all of that. So put that to the side. But the business cycle is real. We are currently at sub 4% unemployment, had a strong jobs number today. But the business cycle will snap back. And if you are not thinking about a plan B in the good times, man, I, I feel bad for you, you know, when, the, when ultimately the bad times come. So, um, you know, let's, so, so 913, you got that notice, you stayed employed. When did you, when did you find that plan B? When did, so I understand how you got to real estate, but was it like the first thing you saw or were you a buy and hold person first or? Where did, where did you go after you moved to New York sure. part-time? So what I started doing is, is I, I, I started trying to understand what, are, what do people do? Because mm. all I had never known was this aviation language. Yeah. And so I started just trying to understand what, what do people do that, that are wealthy? How does that work? So I just started reading books and everything seemed to be tied back to real estate at one point in their life or something. So I thought, okay, well, you know, as a, as, a, as a pilot, you know, a lot of other pilots that own rental properties and that. So you, you kind of know like, oh, everybody has that idea. You know, I would like to own some rental property someday, right? That's what you always hear. Yeah. So I thought, okay, you know, may, maybe I'll go down this path. So I started reading books on real estate, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all that series, everything that had to do with it. And it really resonated with me a lot because I thought, okay, I could still do my airline job and I can kind of do this on the side and I can keep learning. But what I realized was all of a sudden, I felt like I was behind the curve because now I'm, uh, I believe I was about 29 years old. Okay. And I thought, man, I've wasted all these years. Like all these people are ahead of me. I'm very competitive. So I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, people are beating me in this world. I've got I've to I've step it up. So I started reading a book a week on real estate. I mean, I was, I was voracious. Wow. I was reading as much as I could. I remember going to, uh, to, to the library in my pilot uniform and people would look at me like, what are you doing? And I'm getting books on real estate and, you know, and so it just, I, I just, I didn't care. I was so focused on what I needed to do. So I, I didn't know what to do. So I, I hired a mentor to, to train me. I forget what it was, you know, $10,000, whatever. And he taught me how to do flipping. Okay. And it was more like options. You know, at the time they didn't have a term for wholesaling, but, but, but essentially that's what it was. I was wholesaling yeah. with option contracts. And so he explained that to me, double closings and all that stuff. So, I started doing that without really knowing. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, he's like, you do this, you do this, you make it happen. I didn't ask questions. I wasn't, I didn't know enough to talk myself out of it to tell me why <laughs> it wouldn't work. I just did, you know, to me, it's like, I'll do what I'm told. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to build up some capital and then I'll go down the road and do something else. So, okay. and, and again, I felt safe because I wasn't actually owning the properties. I wasn't coming out of pocket. I was putting an option on it and getting paid. And so I did that for a couple of years and I got very, very good at it. And I, and I was doing a lot of transactions and it, it, it was working well. Um, so, so, real, much so, so real quick, Steve, is this 2003, 2004? Is that kind of when this is? Yeah, this is, this is 2002. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, wow, I started, fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I was, I was hitting the ground running. So this is about okay. mid 2002. All right. Um, up until about, I'm going to say, well, in about 2003, 2004, about 2004, I wanted to start owning real estate. Okay. So I joined, I joined a local real estate group uh -huh. um, in, in Houston. And, and I always knew that was the path I wanted because I knew that wholesaling, flipping, that was just a job, right? I mean, I was just busy. I was making more money, 
but I was just, it was just a job, but I was learning as well. I was getting educated at the time, learning terminologies and, and everything that goes along with that closings and title companies. So, um, I joined this investing group and I had enough money and they were more geared towards buying apartment complexes. Ah, okay. And so, uh, I ended up going and buying an apartment complex with a business partner. Mm -hmm. Um, there was four of us that did it. Um, and he's still my business partner today. Um, the, the one gentleman, Pete, um, we went in forth with some other people. We bought this complex. We owned the complex for a couple years while he, it's funny. I wanted to learn about the apartments. He wanted to learn about the wholesaling. It's the grass is greener. <laughs> Yeah. So he was like, I was like, Hey, I want to learn about owning and buying and holding. He's like, why do you want to learn that? He's like, I want to learn what you're doing. You know, you're making 10, $20,000 every time you flip a property. I want to learn that. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a job. I want to do it. So it's funny. So basically I taught him, he taught me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so after that, we, um, we did very well. We sold the apartment complex. We exited about 2007, 2008. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and the reason we were able to exit that deal was because uh, it was a C property um, in an A area. And wow. it was one of those areas that was getting regentrified and it was becoming nicer. And so, you know, everywhere around us, they were just tearing down these properties and putting up these Victorian style verticals. And so the church next door actually saw this coming and they approached us and said, hey, we, we want to buy this because we basically we know this is going to be these houses and we need space for the church. Ah, um, okay. And I didn't know this at the time, but churches pay cash. So oh, basically, what ended, yeah. so what ended up happening was is the, the economy started crashing, didn't phase them at all. They had the cash, they closed on it, they said no problem. So basically, I hate to say it, but they basically paid a lot of money and they turned it into a parking lot um, uh -huh. is what they did. They, they needed the space, so it's a parking lot to this day. Yeah. Um, but they said that's, it is what it is. So anyways, yeah. um, so after that, we started buying houses. Uh, okay. We took this money and we thought, we were flipping, but we saw it slowing. We, you know, we had our buyer's list and our seller's list and everything, but we noticed that the buyer's list was starting to shrink up and the seller's list was growing. Ah. So to me, that's an indicator. All of a sudden, I'm going, man, this is slowing a little bit. And then we started thinking, why don't we just create some wealth for ourselves? Like we, we, you know, at the time we thought we were the smartest guys in the world. Like we just sold the apartment complex. We're smart. We can, we can do this. And uh, so we thought, you know, let's just do this. And uh, big mistake. First of all, don't ever think that you're too smart because oh, yeah. life, yeah. life has a tendency to teach you lessons very quickly. Um, and so I had already owned a couple rentals that I had kept from flipping. Sure. And my business partner, he had owned some apartments as well before duplexes. Um, so one day he comes to me and he says, Hey man, he goes, I, I, I got an idea. I'm like, what's up? He says, well, I found these deals. They're, they're, they're in the pond that everyone's fishing in. They're, they're, they're in the price point. There's tons of them and they make huge amounts of money. And I'm like, okay, well, what are they? He's like, they're called low income, high cash flow properties. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what, what's the deal? He's like, well, he's like, we can get as many as we want. He's like, and there's a ton of them. And he's like, we're, that's a market that everybody rents. They're easy to put in. He's like, we can do this. And I'm like, okay, well, why just buy one? Let's buy 20 of them. Yeah. So in the next year and a half, he and I do go on a buying spree and we're just buying these houses, right? And we're the smartest guys in the world, right? We're buying these houses, buying these houses. And, uh, you know, our goal is to own 50 to 100 of these things, uh, you know, down in the ghetto, basically. And, uh, you know, we're buying them for $50,000 and we're renting them for seven, $800 a month, right? So the cash on cash is strong. Everything's looking good. And then 
these people called tenants started calling us <laughs> and they started having problems and they started having maintenance and they started and all of a sudden I'm thinking, why are these people calling us? Like what, like this is not part of the plan. And then they start skipping out and then well, there's maintenance. And next thing you know, like all of a sudden it's like it had been bubbling and all of a sudden it just started popping everywhere on us. And so he and I are doing like whack-a-mole, you know, trying to put the, trying to, our, our, our tenants are, are leaving us. They're, they're, when they leave, um, so our average tenancy was about eight months. So they were turning very quickly because it's a low income area. Yeah. The make ready costs were three times the amount because when they left, they would take parting gifts with them, like wiring, <laughs> electrical, you know, they would take plants, toilets. I mean, we'd go to a house and it'd be like a whole, it'd be like a rehab all over again. We're like, how could they, like, how, how could they do this that quickly? I mean, they were quick, you know, all. Yeah. I must have supplied half, half of Southeast Houston with air conditioning units because they stole them. Like our biggest task was to figure out how to secure these ACs. I mean, we caged them, we welded them, and they would still figure out. I'm like, if they would just pay their rent with as much energy as they do with trying to steal our stuff, we, we would, they would be living here very happy. Yeah. Anyway, um, so in our infinite wisdom, and, and um, we thought the best way to fix this was – Buy more of them. Of course. <laughs> of course, right? Because we didn't learn our lesson the first time. So now we're sitting at about 33, 35 of these things. Okay. And it was like putting gasoline on a fire and it just exploding in our faces. And now in hindsight, you sit back and you go, well, no wonder that didn't. That, th there's no way that would work. At the time, we thought we're halfway through the mountain. Let's just keep on pushing yeah. through. And you know, and the scale's the, the, gonna help. Scale will help. Scale will help. It'll help on the downside just as quick as the upside for people that want to know. Yes. But what we what we learned was is that a valuable lesson for people that are watching this is that when you have tunnel vision and you're so focused on fixing something, sometimes the answer is not to fix it. Sometimes the answer is to, to audibleize and pivot somewhere else. And we were I was so focused on fixing the problem, and my wife was doing the books at the time. And she's like, the, the numbers don't work. Like you guys are, this is not going to work. And I'm like, yeah. I can fix it. I can, I can make it, I can make it work. And she was like, it's not. So of course, you know, then we'd buy a house here, but she's like, did you buy another house? And I'm like, yeah, we picked up another one. And she's like, what, what are you doing? She's like, it's not going to work. And, and at one point, basically she, she sat me down and was like, you suck at buying houses. You like, you need to stop. Like you guys are no good at this. This is not working at all. Good for her. And, yeah. So, cause she was, she's like, I see the numbers. Like I'm the sales guy. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, Oh, these are 30% cash on cash. This is this. Once we get these problems fixed, it'll be done. But when these problems were fixed, those problems arise. Yeah. And you know, and again, they're older houses. So when the electrical goes out and an electrician goes, it's like, I can't just fix that. I got to rewire the whole thing. And now the city needs to come and you got to pull a permit. And so it, it was just, it was a compounding effect of multiple problems. Yeah. And so um, basically after our, our, our conversation, you know, we sit down and it's like, okay, we're, we're obviously, we're obviously not good at this. This is not working. So my business partner, Pete and I, um, we sit down and say, okay, we have three options. The one option is, is we just sell all these. Let's just sell them and walk away. Yep. But we both believed in real estate and we didn't, we didn't want to go down that path because we, we realized that that's not the way to wealth. So the second option was we hand them over to a management company. That management company handles it. They deal with it. It's no longer our problem. The third option is, is that he and I figure out how to systemize and structure it ourselves and we run it in our own management world. Yep. 
because we had run apartments. We knew what to do. We just weren't doing it because when you're so emotionally attached, you're trying your hardest to make it work and you're, you're bypassing all rules of logic because now this is like, I can tell him what to do, but that doesn't work for me. I got to do what I got to do. You know, it's like yeah. do as I say, not as I, not as I preach basically. Yeah. And so what ended up happening from there is we, um, this was 2010, 2000, uh, 2011-ish. So, you know, during that time frame, nobody could get a loan. Yep. So buying the properties was not an option, right? And any investor that wanted them, wanted them at such a steep discount, it was even lower than what we bought them at. And we're like, well, we're not going to do that. Like, they're, they're, they're slowly killing us with a spoon, but it's not stabbing us with a knife kind of, you know? It's yeah. like, it's, it's a slow bleed. So um, we go, okay, that's not an option. So he says, well, I'll tell you what, let me make some phone calls to some management companies and let me see what we have. And let me see what, what the offer is. Like, okay, Rock, do your deal, man. So he calls me up like a week later and he's like, we got a problem. I'm like, did we buy another house? Like, that yeah. I don't know about, did it, did it, did it have a baby? Like, what, what happened? He's like, nobody wants them. I'm like, what do you mean nobody wants them? He says, nobody wants our properties. I'm like, like, the, like they won't manage them? He's like, no. He, basically, he goes, they said, they're too much work. They're never going to make money. This is just a huge headache. And we're screwed. Basically, basically was the conversation. Wow. I'm like, going, you know, re rewinding in my brain to the first time he told me about these winning deals. I'm like, but you told me these were great deals. I'm like, you told me. Yes. This is a, this is a pond that everyone's fishing in that we can, we can buy them, we can sell them. And he's like, Oops. I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're both very logical, not emotional. And, you know, being, being an airline pilot in that, you know, you learn how to work the problem. So I'm like, okay, yeah. let's work the problem. Let's come up with a solution. We know, we know we have a problem. Now let's work through it. Yeah. So we sit down and we start really looking and going, okay, the only option we have is to fix this ourselves. We're obviously not the best business people in the world and we're not the smartest, but we're not the dumbest, right? We, I know airline business, structure, systems, checklists, all that from Boeing, he was running an IT department for a very large company. We knew what to do. So basically we sat down and we said, okay, here's the deal. We are gonna run these like a business. And if we have to kick out all these deadbeat tenants and redo this, we're gonna do it. But we're gonna, non-emotional, we're gonna create rules, we're gonna create structure, and we're gonna stick to it. So we did that. It took us about nine months for us to sit down and really plumb from an investor's perspective how we wanted this thing to run. And so we really structured this thing on through. And then we started enforcing it. Yep. And about, I'm going to say within about four or five months, we had about, a, we kicked out about 70% of our tenants, deadbeats, and they weren't paying anyways, right? I mean, they were just taking up air basically. Yeah. Um, and so basically what we ended up doing was, is we put in the right people, we set the proper expectations. Like I used to do stuff like, I would put signs out at like three in the morning, like these bandit signs, of, you know, bad credit, okay. You know, rent deposit special you know, must rent, right? So these are all action words for someone to contact me, but guess who contacts you? The people with shitty credit, the people that, that need to, that they would drive up with stuff in their car at that day going, I can move in right now. And you're like, oh, perfect, you know, but then they're gone and they take half the house with them. But anyways, so we, we eliminated all that. We eliminated any, any emotions and we said, we're gonna stick to it. So after about six months of us running it that way, they started to stabilize and they never actually made us a lot of money, but they weren't kind of bleeding us to death. Yeah. And so what we realized was we said, okay, this is stabilizing, fixing problems, doing it the right way, investing capital, investing money to, to the properties, setting proper expectations with the tenant. Um, and then what happened was, is all of a sudden, 
we had other people approach us ah. and they were like, Hey, could you guys manage our house? Well, first they said, what happened to you guys? We thought you guys were going out of business, you know, going into bankruptcy. And we said, well, here's what we did. Started running like a business structure. And they said, man, that's the exact problems I'm having. Could you take care of mine? Ah. And I'm first, I'm like, no, we don't want your problems. Like we barely fixed ours. I don't want to deal with your drama. Like, you know, that's not, I'm an airline pilot, you know, yeah. but then we thought about it and we thought, okay, well, there's economies of scale, scale. Like you said earlier, we can do volume. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's not our, it's not our property. So, you know, again, when you get a vacancy in a property or you get a make ready, you're feeling the hit, right? You get a vacancy, you got the make ready cost, you got the vacancy, you got to relet it. You got, so there's, there's cost. And on top of that, as we all know, as investors, the mental stress. There's a lot of mental stress that goes into, you know, being a problem solver with people's problems that you, I can't control how someone lives their life and pays their rent or gets a DUI or whatever their problems are. I can't dictate that, but I'm the, I'm getting the, I'm reaping the benefit or the curse of their actions basically. Yeah. So basically what happened was, is then we started managing properties and then everybody started throwing properties at us. And so we were like becoming ghetto kings, right? Everybody was throwing their ghetto properties because they're like, well, you guys know what to do. Here's another five. And so one day my business partner, Pete's like, how many properties do we own? And I'm like, I think about 35. He's like, why do we have 80 properties that in our, in our software? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I've been getting a couple more uh, for other people. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I've been getting a couple more and, and they wanted me to manage them. And he's like, what? he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, so, so, you know, I'm like, I'm like the salesman, right? I'm kind of the one that does it first and then kind of explain it as I go. So we start managing these people's properties and um, that, that kind of is, was the, the, the spark of what the property management company is that I own today. But that's, that's kind of the evolution of what I did with real estate. And we ended up eventually selling those properties, those low income, even during the, the you know, we just could never figure a way to make them work. Um, and so at one point we finally said, which was a, a huge aha moment for me is somebody was like, why don't you just sell them? And I was like, well, we can't sell them. We'll lose money. And he's like, you think you're not losing money now? Nah. You really think you're not losing money when you have a vacancy and they leave and you got to make ready and this, and that. he's like, you're already lost money. He's like, it's already sinking. Just cut the tide. And so I talked to my business partner and I'm like, Hey man, what are your thoughts on this? And he's like, done. I mean, it was like within seconds, he's like, done, let's get rid of them. So for the next year and a half, we focused on getting rid of them. And what we did is we, we did a lot of owner financing sure. to other investors. So wow. um, we, we had a lot of, this was when the Canadian dollar was much stronger than the US dollar. Okay. And so we had a lot of Canadians that were coming in buying real estate, but they can't get loans. Sure. So we basically talked to them and said, hey, here's the deal. We have these rental properties. This is, this is the situation with them. We will sell them to you on an owner finance. And then we will keep managing the property for you. We'll give you a discount on the management. We'll do everything, but know what you're buying. And you're, you're buying it on, on um, cash flow, on a cash flow scenario. This is what it's running for. This is the history. And so the, with some we sold outright, but a lot of them we sold to investors uh, up in Canada. And that's how we exited a lot of those deals. Very, very cool. Just uh, lots of questions on that summary. So the exit to the Canadian investors was like 2013, 14, kind of? Yeah, I'm going to say 14 into 15. It took about a year and a half to exit all of them. All right, very cool. The other thing I want to talk about is I think there's a lot of investors from at least California, I assume from, from Texas as well, that feel like they can't get return in their backyard anymore. So they're going Detroit, Cleveland, Huntsville, you know, these other markets. Mm -hmm. And my fear, 
is unbeknownst to them is they're going to be investing in the hood, right? And the hood's as good as it could be in a great economy, uh, but it doesn't last. And, you know, you and I have both bought stuff in the hoods and, and suffered that, uh, you know, that downside. So is that, uh, do you see the same fear? Cause we talked to kind of the same people. Um, yes. So uh, just to give you a point of perspective, you know, my company, we manage about a thousand properties, uh, in Houston, Dallas, and Fort Worth and about 50 to 60% of all of our clients do not live in Texas or in the country. A lot okay. of people from the West coast, we get a lot of West coast people. Um, and, and yes, you get a lot of people that, you know, they, they, they get this fear, right? A lot of investors, they want to dump the money and stick their head in the sand and go, yeah. just deal with it. I don't want to know. And I, I, I think that that could be the worst scenario model, right? I tell them, I said, listen, let, let's back this up. I tell them you, when you own a rental property, you own a business. Yes. Four walls and a roof is not going to ensure success, right? I know a lot of people like you do that have bought great deals and they've run them right into the ground Yes, because of the bad business model. And what yes. do I explain to them is, is you are running a business. The property management company is the operating system inside that four walls and the roof. Yep. You are the CEO of that business, which means you are responsible to make sure that you are getting the proper data to make smart decisions as a CEO of your company. We are a piece of your puzzle, whether it's a realtor, inspector, you know, hard money lender, rehabber, whatever. We, we are all a piece of your company. And to put your head in the sand and say, I trust you. I don't want to deal with it. I'm like, that could be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You would deserve to get ripped off if yeah. you don't educate yourself. I hate to say deserve. That's probably not the right word. But you, you, it would not surprise me that more people get ripped off because they don't take the time to educate themselves. They want the easy button. I tell them, mm -hmm. if you want the easy button, then you should go buy a mutual fund or buy a REIT, buy into a REIT. Yep. Don't go buying a business in Alabama if you don't know the layout and you don't know the market and you don't know the target. Yeah. So what I explain to investors whenever I talk to them is I even take it back more elementary and I want to know why are they even investing? Like what, what is their why? What, what, why do they want to even do this? Why this over stocks? Like explain that to me. And then I tell them, tell me, how does your life look as a result in 20 years from now? What does that look like? Do you own a bunch of assets? Are you, are you passing it down to your children? Are you living on the cash flow? And what, and let's define, what is that number? Is it $20,000 a month? Is it 5,000? Is it a hundred thousand? Let's, let's define that because to me, that's the end goal. That's the destination in your life that you want to go in your real estate life. Mm -hmm. Then we create the strategy for that. And the strategy are the freeways to get you there. So if you want to go to Disneyland, you're not just going to jump on the five North freeway from LA and head northbound and think you're going to get there. Right. right. You're going to go, you're not going to get to your destination. Owning real estate is saying, okay, what freeways do I need to take to get there? And those freeways are the types of properties that you need in order to get you to the goal, which is part of the plan. Yeah. And what I explained to them, I said, when, so when you're looking at a deal, right? And, and I'm getting somewhere with what you said. When you're looking at a deal, and that deal's in Huntsville, Alabama, and you were to look at it just like a stock, right? Because real estate is a mathematical equation. There is no emotion involved just like buying chase stock or carrier stock or GM stock, you don't buy it for anything other than what the numbers and the dividends and the returns are getting you. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. So based on that, based on the returns, does that property align with your strategy to get you to your goal? 
And if the answer is no, then I would say you don't buy it. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, and I tell people, I go, once your money goes hot and you own that deal, that is not the time to try to make it work and fit into your strategy. Yeah, and that's what people do, right? That's why, they, that's why they get a property management company at the end and they get this cheap, low service company because they don't have, they never factored that into their business model. So they never thought about it. So now it's down the road and they're going, well, who's going to manage this thing? Because I tell people, I go, anybody can get a good deal. Look, you yeah. can swing a dead cat and end up getting a good deal at one point. If you throw out a thousand offers, you're going to get a steal, right? Right. But how are you going to get that return month after month, year after year to the destination? Yeah. And exactly. that's why you need to have the right people on your team. So basically what I tell them is, is before you do any of this, create your goal, define that, create your strategy, whether you do it or you have someone help you, someone that knows, and then you go find the city and the team that are on your team to help you achieve that goal. Yep. And, and, and then you set those expectations. So then when you're looking at it, like I tell people, when you're looking at a deal, I want you to come to me and say, hey, Steve, what do you think? Does this work? And I'm going to go, first thing I'm going to say is, does this align with your strategy to get you to your goal? Yep. If you can't tell me that, I can't tell you if it's a good deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so, so that's kind of how I do it. So yeah, so there's a lot of people that get ripped off. And, and I think they get ripped off because they allow themselves to get ripped oh, off. They sure. allow themselves to put themselves in bad positions because they don't sharpen their mental acts. Yep. And I tell them, I go, look, sharpen the, take the time to educate yourself before you even get into this arena. Yeah. Know what you want. Be very, very clear because the deal of a lifetime is probably passing you by once a week. But if you don't know what it is, you're never going to see it. Exactly. Exactly. So what, one more quick question before we get into your book. Uh, and it was really something that I just want to go back to. Basically, you, the sales guy, saw 30% cash on cash, all of these actuals, which I call Excel math. And then your wife is going, honey, I have the cash flow statement. I got actuals. There's, there, there's a difference. Let's, let's sit down and have a conversation. Uh, th that's just a reality. And I, I think too many people believe the Excel spreadsheet as opposed to the actuals. They want to excuse the actuals. Oh, that's a one-time thing or oh, this or oh, that. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? I think that? what happens is, is a lot of times people, look, I will talk myself into a deal, right? I can, I can say, well, if I, tweet, if I can get a little more rent because this house is nicer. So instead of being 12, 1200, I probably get 1295. And, and if I do this and if the, let's say the, you know, the vacancy is not as much, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like, wow, that's a good deal. Yeah. Excel, and my wife Excel would be sitting there going, yeah, yeah. So my wife would be sitting there going like, you just basically twisted the numbers to make it match what you need. I'm like, deal. Like, so you see what I see. <laughs> I you know? agree. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, 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 the point of all this is she was not involved in the acquisition side. It was yeah. me and my business partner. So me being the ultimate salesman, I would always talk him into why we should buy that deal. Yeah. And he's like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. She was the after effect. She was the one that she would get the HUD statement and the numbers and the rent and, you know, and not working and matching. So she didn't have any say in the acquisition phase. She had the say in the number phase, you know, yeah, and yeah. when we'd have to do a cash call because we ran out of money and we had to pay the taxes at the end of the year. Yep. That's when she would got to voice her concern or opinions. <laughs> Very cool. Well, hey, do me a favor now. Flash up your book. Tell, tell people where they can find it, what's all in it. I, you have such a wonderful story. People need to, need to go get it. Yeah. So this book, uh, Building an Empire, is, is uh, you know, it, like every investor, right, when you are um, – 
in the heat of battle the way Pete and I were, and we went through hurricanes and we went through, you know, drug raids on our properties. And I mean, it, it, went, it goes on and on. And, you know, you, you joke and we're like, man, one day we should write a book. Like this is, this is like book material. Like you, you're thinking to myself, this doesn't normally happen. And so that, that's kind of where the, the evolution of the book came from, because it really just tells our story very, you know, some of what I talked about earlier. Um, and a lot of it is kind of how we took our model and took it to scale yep. and scaled it out and still have, you know, and again, still have trials and tribulations, still have challenges. Um, and, and, and as an investor, investors reading this book, you know, I've had a lot of people that even the, the editor that helped me edit it, he said, man, he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, I had a couple parts that I was just laughing, envisioning you and your business partner, you know, in this ghetto property with cockroaches on you and you're, you know, in your pilot uniform. And, you know, and it's just, you, you go through this story, which a lot of people have that they can resonate with. So yeah, yeah. Um, it is on sale on Amazon. You can go to Amazon. You can, it's called building an empire, uh, failing our, failing my way to millions. Um, and uh, you can go to my website, steverosenberg.com. Uh, it's there as well. And again, it's just a way I think for, you know, Pete and I have been uh, coached uh, by business coaches since day one. And that's part, that's in the story. But what we learned by being coached by business coaches is that, you know, we are running a business and that's how I've learned to talk to other investors about running the business and testing and measuring and KPIs. And, you know, we kind of go through how you go through these iterations of growth to contraction, to growth, whether it's financially or mentally, um, and, and how to work through problems. I mean, I remember, you know, in the story, I talk about going through Hurricane uh, Ike and we lost 20 roofs and, wow. you know, our, our houses got flooded and, you know, we're sitting there driving around, uh, you know, looking at all these houses in this fog and all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, if the tenants can't live in the property, they can't pay their rent. If they can't pay their rent, how are we going to pay our mortgage? You know what I mean? And this, this is, you know, so we're going through how we had to work these problems and, and come up with these things. And so the, the book is, is, it's a good book. It's, it's a, it's a quick read. It's a hundred pages or so. And what's interesting is you sit there and go, man, I thought my life had more than a hundred pages, but <laughs> the reality is, it's uh, it, it's really, it kind of just gets dives in and from, from the beginning to really show people that you're not alone out there. I mean, yeah. we go through it. I mean, we have a very successful company. It does very well. Um, like I said, we manage a thousand properties, but it's, it's a, it's a brick by brick scenario. I mean, we, we have fought and scratched and screamed to get there. And, and it's, again, I just wanted to tell my story from airline pilot to, to where we are and where we're going and, yeah. and kind of how we did it. Basically. That's, that's awesome. So uh, I love this. This has been just as much fun as I thought it would be. I look forward to reading that book. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, how else can people follow you? you? You're doing lots of things. What, what else you got going on? Yeah. Yeah. So they can follow me on Facebook, Steve Rosenberg, and I've got Steve Rosenberg uh, professional. Uh, I do a lot of speaking events. Uh, I speak for NARPM uh, at a lot of their events, whether it's a local chapter, if somebody wants me to come speak there, um, as well as at the national level. Uh, I also do stuff in Australia. I speak down there. Um, and I do a lot of investor speaking events. So if somebody wants me to come speak at their investing group, meetup meet up groups, I've been to Seattle and, and Los Angeles and other places. Um, and really, it's just a matter of helping investors when they want to learn to be better. If they go to my website, steverosenberg.com, um, or if they go to my property management website, Empire Industries LLC, both of those, they go to the blog page. I probably have about 300 video blogs of me talking about things to know as an investor. You know, 
Why does my vendor keep ripping me off? You know, um, you know, why, why, how to pick the best tenant? You know, what do I do when my tenant won't pay? So these are educational videos to help investors because, you know, and I'm not sure about you, but when I got involved in this, there was nobody there to help me and give me these answers. I had to figure it out on my own. So to me, if I can help other investors with that, I'll do that. And part of that was, um, I have a Facebook group. It's called the Landlord Survival Group. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, everyone's free to join. And basically, it's just investors there. I don't want anyone selling anything in this group. But to talk about like fair housing things that are changing. Yeah. And you know, there's I have wholesalers and flippers on there. I have a podcast show called the Landlord Survival Show. That podcast show gets some very successful flippers, wholesalers, buy and hold people. And we talk about their story. But more importantly, what I want to know from them I don't want to hear how great they are. I want to hear about the failures and oh, yeah. how they overcame those failures and what are they doing now to compound on the failure to success to expand it. So that's really what I talk to them. I kind of get down in the down and dirty with them to hear what, what makes them tick, you know, when they have that failure, right? Because, you know, like they say, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face, right? So when they get punched in the face, what gets them to get back up and keep going and not kind of go back to a job? Yep. And so that's a lot of stuff that we talk about on the podcast show. Um, I also uh, created a uh, website called selfmanagemyproperty.com. Uh, on there, we have a, we, Pete and I created a manual called the Ultimate Landlord Survival Handbook. Hmm. Um, and it's there to help the single investor that has one or two properties. And it's really a reference guide that we have on there that they can buy. And it's to help them manage their properties if they want to self-manage. And my whole thing is when I speak to groups, I explain to them, listen, I don't care if you self-manage or you use a property manager, you're running a business and you need to create structure, policies and procedures because there's a lot of laws out there and there's a lot of laws that will get you in trouble. And so whatever path you take, you can either buy my manual and run it. And that's how we run our business through this manual. I mean, it, it explains fair housing laws and explains, you know, dangerous animals breeds and, you know, how to accept it a tenant and what you should put on an application. So we really, because look, if you own two properties, right, you may not have a vacancy once, but every two years, right? So yeah. you may not need that. And you're going, I don't really need a management company, but I would like to know what should I get ready for a make ready or what, what is a violation of fair housing? So that's what this manual is for. And that's what we created. So they can go to my website, selfmanagemyproperty.com. Um, they can take a look by free information there. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I focus on educating as much as I can. I, I'm yeah. not here to sell people. I'm here to educate because nobody was there to help me when I was learning. Um, I had to do it myself. So it's just a way for me to give back and, and help people out so that they can become better at investing in the investing world. Well, Steve, this has been so much fun. Thank you for all you do. You have a great story. Um, it's nice to see all the different points, right? You just, you just kept climbing the mountain, kept pivoting. It, it, it was fun. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. No problem. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure I'll see people out there in the battlefield somewhere. You got it, man. <laughs> Bye-bye.